Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. Before we get started, I want to tell all the artists listening about Bango. If you're like many of the artists I know, you spend more time managing your career than you do creating art. Bango helps you with this. To learn more, go to bangoart.co slash podcast. That's B-A-N-G-O dot co slash podcast. And if you're looking for original art, Bango is an amazing place to find art from some of the best emerging artists. Now, in this episode, I'm excited to welcome the CEO of Motsi, Shauner Tellerman. For those of you who have ever tried to visualize your room with the furniture in a magazine or on Pinterest, now how different it always turns out. Using 3D and augmented reality, Motsi allows you to visualize design ideas in your own home so you aren't surprised with the final look. With a background in fine arts, VR, and venture capital, Shauna embodies the intersection of art and tech. Today, I talked to Shauna about how being a trained artist has helped her in the business world, how having a diverse team is a huge advantage, and where she sees visualization technology going in art and tech. So please, allow me to welcome today's guest, Shauna Tellerman. Hi, Shauna. It's great to have you on the podcast. Great to be here. So I'm really excited to have you on today because if there's any guest that I have that really embodies the intersection of art and technology, it's you. I mean, you're you're literally an MFA who's then you know got into gaming and tech and venture and now have your own startup. So I'd love to hear like you know from the start you you brought in this intersection of design and technology. Um, you know how do you merge the two worlds, and and how does having been an artist you know affect how you are as a sort of technologist. Well, uh, you make it sound so purposeful. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, tell us about out. that path. If it wasn't, let us know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I went into school for fine arts. I was probably the only fine artist who liked um, computer science and math. <laughs> and so I'd find myself in these like math courses, going to my art class, back and forth, and looking for the place where the two things really come together and make something special. Um Web design just didn't do it for me. <laughs> so especially early web design, like Flash, multimedia, it just felt like it was um, too superficial. Um, like the the artistic piece was kind of being layered on top of it. Um, and then I took this VR class, and that was like early 2000. Uh, so huge head-mounted display, like yeah. 10 million wires. <laughs> so like <laughs> very old school. Um but the the VR class changed my entire life. Um, I you know basically have never looked back. Great. Yeah. Um, how do you think, more specifically now, like your background in arts affects uh, how you think about technology and innovation, and, and and maybe more specifically how that helped you with Modsy? Yeah, I mean, I think to me the future of everything we're creating is a blend of like. Um, art meets science. So you need to think about the user, you need to think about the design, you need to think about functionality, and you need to think about how it's built, engineering. 
Um, no one person can do all of that. <laughs> and I think that's where art and science, like when I think about art and science and technology merging together, to me that speaks to teams and mm. interdisci interdisciplinary teams yeah. in particular. And it feels like the future of how all of us are working is really about collaboration across these different industries and then essentially pulling out the best parts of each of those industries to make a whole or some of, of these parts that no one individual contributor could bring on their own. And so for me, that was kind of the thread of the path that brought me into technology. But it's also the way that I think a lot about Modsy, which is there's no way to build what we're building with one like one isolated discipline. It couldn't be an engineering-led company. It also couldn't be a, just a design-led company. It has to be kind of the two minds melding together and bringing together pieces of what each one knows. And then the sum of that is like, more than a 2x multiple, right? Like that's a 10x on top of what we, what each one would have come up with on their own. Yeah. Well, and part of that though, I imagine having all these diverse points of view and people have, you know, strong opinions, you know, when you're from the art or design space versus tech. I mean, how does, how do you see that play out in, in kind of in a healthy conversation or discussion that happens? Yeah. Um, I think, uh, as you might imagine, there's a lot of disagreement often. Yeah. Um, I do think disagreements and tension that's always been part of an artistic process, right? Even even for an artist standalone, generally there's there's moments where you're going through some amount of artistic tension. There's always you know questions about what's done, what's the creative process like. You're struggling along the way. Um, I think it's no different when you bring two disciplines together. There's going to be moments where you really don't understand the other person's point of view, or you have to learn their process to be able to speak their language. And those are generally kind of at the heart of what, you know, the, what creates the tension. It's sort of misunderstanding or trying to kind of get inside the head of the other person. But at the same time, I think, you know, that generally, that kind of tension leads to a better outcome because now you're not going to take for granted. You're not going to just sort of all be in like mind and lockstep and, and say, of course, this is what we're doing. And everybody goes and creates it. You're going to get challenged along the way and really have to think through, is this actually the right thing to build? Is this the right creative process to go through? Is this the right answer to the solution we're trying to get to? Um, and when you have kind of different points of view, you're going to avoid sort of group think that leads you to potentially the wrong solution. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in your in your meetings. I see here we're in a room where you have all these sticky notes and, and dots where you guys, you know, are brainstorming. Looking at the sort of culture of the company and bringing these diverse points. How have you seen that form and do you see an appreciation for those different points of view uh, have changed over time? Yeah, we actually, one of our values here is make magic. <laughs> and what that means for us, make magic is really about the, the hard process that goes on behind the scenes to bring to life something that for a customer feels like it's magic, like, you know, easy, like, wow, that's incredible. I have no idea how it happened, right? Um, and what we all know is that behind the scenes, the work that it takes to make those magical moments is insanely hard. <laughs> and everything yeah. that we're creating has taken like blood, sweat, and tears of the teams behind the scenes kind of mm. building each step. And so um, the way that actually manifests is that we so often have to go through an extremely manual version of what we want to create. And like with our 3D graphics and our 3D visualizations, we would spend hours designing, modeling texturing, and then rendering those designs all by hand at the beginning just to learn the process and to diagnose that or to dissect that process and to cut it up into kind of smaller steps that then we could 
uh, work with the engineering team to actually say, now how do we automate this? And so that process of kind of like give and take and then the, the magical moments where a new tool is created and suddenly what like took somebody three hours is just poof, gone. Yeah. <laughs> and now the person's job is literally transformed who's sitting in our office every day. Like, for us, that's, you know, that's, that's the sum of all parts and that's the kind of magic that gets created. That's great. I, um, yeah, I actually recently met with the CEO of Twyla and they talked about from a curation perspective, they bring in not just a curator, but also a designer and a mm. data scientist and these three different points of view to sort of, they all have to check off on what artists they bring on, which is interesting because as you can imagine, they have very different points of view when mm -hmm. it comes to that. Um, that sounds very familiar. I mean, we do something similar with, um, style, right? So we have this like interesting intersection between, um, we have consumers with all different style types and we match them from a data perspective to their style type. But then there's kind of an artistic process to then sourcing for that style type. And then there's a, a business lens on the whole thing, which is at the end of the day, is this a business partner that's going to, that we actually make any money if we sell their product, right? And so you kind of have to combine that, that giant matrix together and come out with a solution that says like, here's the collection of products that we're going to show customers. Yeah. It would be great to visualize that or, you know, do a, a short video on that to show people like what goes into that. Um, you know, on, on sort of thinking about diverse points of view, I, I've read that you're very passionate about gender equality in the tech space. And, you know, from the personal side, I mean, do you want to talk about your experience and why you've been so passionate about that? And Yeah, absolutely. I think on so many levels, for me, the most important level that I think translates to every business is diverse points of view makes better products, mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day, we live in a diverse world. We have many users of our products and we have to satisfy a wide range of people. And so if you have a very narrow range of people building the thing for a wide range of people, you're going to miss a portion of the population and you're yeah. going to miss insights into the that type of user. So I think that's kind of like a sort of business fundamental level. Yeah. I think then you go to kind of the human level, which is just, I mean, from my perspective, this, we have a very diverse team. It mm. just makes it so fun. Yeah. <laughs> like our team, our team is, is different. It looks different. We have, you know, different genders, different ages, different ethnicities. Um, there's nobody here that looks like somebody else or not the majority. So if you were to walk in, let's say you look like nobody on our whole team, you're still not going to feel out of place because most of the team doesn't look like each other. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that environment just makes people feel comfortable and confident with who they are. Whereas again, when you kind of get into like a mold and a, a place, everybody looks the same and acts the same and dresses the same and the same gender, et cetera, you're the one person that's an outsider and you suddenly feel extremely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I've you know, had those experiences in my life before. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to do your job really well, you're just feeling like you're not quite fitting in. And to me, I just don't, I don't think that's the future of workplaces. And I don't think that's like a place that anybody should have to go into a work environment that feels like that. Yeah. Do you, so it sounds like you've made a very concerted effort to create this diverse group. I mean, why do you think it is such an issue? Is it that people aren't trying? I mean, do you think perhaps because you're in the sort of art and design space that makes it easier? Yeah, I do think it's a it's a combination. I think one, it helps if you uh, are different <laughs> when you start. So being a female founder, I think means that automatically I'm you know probably not going to attract an only all male um, workforce. Um, so that that's helpful. We did with the first handful of hires, our first handful of hires were all really different from each other. 
And that meant that within the first kind of four to five people, we'd already set the tone that we're a diverse group. So I do think it has to start almost at the beginning, the core of, the, of a company yeah. um, in order to create that environment. I love it. I mean, my, so my background is in design thinking and the idea of different perspectives, different points of view and how those ideas both in, you know, are those perspectives in them, their own right, as well as put together with others, they build off of each other so nicely. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to Modsy. I mean, here you are, you started this company. I mean, what inspired it? How did you, how did you get going and why yeah. did you decide to, to start a company in this space? It was a hundred percent my personal experience. Okay. So I have, um, I have this background in fine arts and 3D and technology, but um, Modsy really came from my own experience moving into a home in San Francisco with my husband. And I thought going in, this is going to be really fun <laughs> and really creative. And we're finally going to get rid of like Ikea and all our hand-me-downs and sort of, you know, sort of cheap furniture and upgrade and create a space that we love. Yeah. And uh, a month in, we were frustrated and fighting and had made no decisions whatsoever with blank walls and like no rug and terribly laid out space. And I was sort of shocked that somebody with a 3D background like me and a creative background would be this stuck in that process. And the place that I kept getting stuck was visualizing how things would actually look in the space. Mm-hmm. And it just struck me that visualiz- visualization is my whole background. And yet there's no great consumer experience that allows a consumer to visualize how things come together in their own home. And so I thought about it for almost two years. I kept coming back to it. At some point, I was waking up in the middle of the night every night thinking about this. (laughs) And I was like, I think it's time. I am going to create this. Like, I I think it could be done better. Yeah, that's great. What, uh, I mean, what challenges have you faced coming in? You know, thinking about AR and VR and it being a relatively new space. Yeah. uh, Well, so... What we do is almost kind of the next gen. It's like a leapfrog uh, downstream from AR and VR. So mm-hmm. AR and VR to me are very exciting, but there's a lot of limitations. Mm-hmm. For VR, obviously, you need headsets. It's um, in a lot of ways, I think, a great peripheral for gaming, um, mm-hmm. but not necessarily the everyday consumer device. So when I think about like, I'm going to go to Pottery Barn and then see if this couch is the right couch for my house, I'm not going to like come home and put on my headset yeah. <laughs> and check it out. Um and AR is, is I think, going to be a little bit closer, but it's still all the way down at the point where you're making the decision about a specific item. So you probably have an empty spot in your room. You've already figured out, I want to put a chair there. I want to put a chair that is this chair. And now I'm using the AR feature to look at that chair or a few chairs like that. That doesn't really solve the problem that most people are getting stuck at, which is like four steps before. And so we we think about it as a much more holistic problem, which is actually – the first thing you need to do is take every space and, and digitize it. Like you, there needs to be a 3D representation of every space. And so that's the first problem we've been solving at Modsy. Like really easy photos that turn your space into 3D. And then you need to have this kind of environment where you can play around, lay things out, see the whole thing come together and visualize it in this very beautiful aspirational way. Mm-hmm. But it needs it needs to not necessarily be like, so, you know, so focused on the individual product that you can't see how the sum comes together, which usually means you now need like a representation of the room rather than just the phone. So anyway, I think they're exciting, but I think there's kind of there's next a, there's, gen. A, there's a ways to go before we get there. Yep. Um, what is, so obviously this is an art and tech podcast. I mean, you had told me before we started recording about this blank wall that you had on your space and that was part of it. And having been an art 
uh, an artist yourself and into that, that you struggled with this. I mean, what unique challenges do you see when it comes the difference between art and, and furniture, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, it, it was very ironic. Um, so I started as a fine artist making paintings and um, was used to sell fine arts, sell paintings. Um, and so I have all this artwork in my house and I, our biggest challenge was trying to imagine what should be on this really long wall. <laughs> and we left it blank for three years, which is so embarrassing. Um, so I think, I think that art is so, is so unique in so many ways because it really defines you as a person, right? Like it's going to be, it's going to be so much a statement of who you are, your taste, kind of your aesthetic, the color palette, the like the format of the art. There's so many, so many things, so many decisions to make, but then so many ways that that um, shows off your personality mm -hmm. as a person. Um, and yet it's also part of the decor of a space, right? And so you're also considering it both with the architecture of the space that you're in. So do you have a really long wall, a really big wall, only a little bit of space mm -hmm. and the furniture items in the space. So art just plays this fascinating role where partially, you know, it's this, this format, this expressive format, and then partially you're going to be looking at it as part of your decor. And I think that tension often leaves people feeling really torn about what to do. So, yeah. So, I mean, tell me about this tension. Like, where have you seen any trends? Have you seen people through design get more comfortable with uh, with picking art or at least more interested in picking art? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we love that uh, visualization, like what we're doing at Modsy can do is it shows you these possibilities in this this really low touch way. So you can try a lot of things and you can see something super out there or super experimental that you wouldn't try on your own. Mm -hmm. And you may love it, but you also may hate it. And it at least steers you away. Yeah. A design of our current living room, um, one of the designs had these like two giant bees. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <Getting some bees. laughs> what, what did you put in your style quiz that, that gave you those? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, no, what came out was like these giant bee paintings. And yeah. um, some people might love them, but my reaction was like, whoa, no way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, sort of like really blown up animal and in some case insect photography is actually very trendy right now, right? And so in other spaces, especially horses and other things, like there's some – there's beautiful work that's going into spaces that you might never have thought, let me put this giant, you know, painting of a, of a horse here, but then you see it above, you know, above the sofa and with like the right mix of decor around it. And all of a sudden it's striking, right? Mm -hmm. And it transforms the space and your eye goes there and the room, especially in San Francisco, we have lots of small spaces, the room may fall to the side. And so that that may have been a leap that you would never have made without being able to visualize it first. Yeah. It, it is interesting because I look at, you know, I think in talking with different art and tech companies or tech companies that are focused on art specifically, there's a lot of different models from sort of marketplaces to limited edition prints and, you know, or, and di uh, digital screens and just how you get people to think about art. You know, I think one thing that comes out of uh, Modsy is is that people, like you said, become more design conscious and become more interested and in wanting to then take that next step. But it's still like, how how do you get them there? How do you get them across the hump of wanting to get that original art piece? I think people sometimes don't realize how transformative art can be in that yeah. way, right? And and like I was saying, which is what you help with. That's what we help with. Yeah, yeah. seeing that you can see that exactly and. And it shows your, you know, the environment of your space changes. But then I think there's also, on top of that, then there's this emotional reaction, mm -hmm. which the emotional reaction, I think, is actually what drives more purchase of art, right? Because first you see it and you're like, wow, that transforms my space. Like a big giant painting there or like a series of prints here 
it really speaks to me aesthetically. And then you start talking about like, well, what's that subject matter? And now the subject matter, that's what I'm talking about with the bees, right? Like, <laughs> like you're going to have some emotional reaction, positive or negative. Yeah. And when you find the one that just really speaks to you, you know, there's, there's a feeling like you almost can't let that piece go. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that's where, that's where, like you said, furniture is different than art in that the story matters so much more. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, thinking about that, given your expertise in tech and venture and design and art, I mean, if you were to start an art company, or have you ever thought about starting an art company or an, mm -hmm. a company focused on art? I haven't. Um, I did have a fantasy at one point uh, of opening a art gallery, bar, coffee shop, et cetera. And then ironically, our office is now like above exactly a place like that. That's 111 great. <laughs> um, that's probably the closest I've, I've ever come. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's so many, there's so many great places. I mean, like what you guys are doing, there's yeah. so many great places right now to go explore art that I like, I enjoy being a patron more than yeah. thinking about the business. Yeah. Yeah. You, that's the easy answer. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to deal with the, the art side of it. So no advice, no angles, nothing that you think you would do different. I mean, cause there, there still isn't a playbook out there, I think for selling art online. I mean, anything that you would be like, you know, I think more people should do X or Y or uh, well, I, I think that kind of similar to the whole furniture decor problem, it is this multifaceted problem. Um, and you have to solve the problem of, of helping people match quickly to the mm -hmm. kind of art that's going to resonate, resonate to them personally. And that's where like, I think being able to create collections and, and use like technology and algorithms to be able to match people very quickly to the kinds of things that will connect to them individually. Yeah. I think the story of artists that often sells it. And then the last piece, visualization. Like I think if you pull those things together, that that breaks down many of the barriers that somebody has. I think mm -hmm. how you create the initial instinct, like I should buy art. I feel like that's where hopefully we can play I think, a role. Yeah. <laughs> like you should buy art. That your space is gonna look really empty without that. <laughs> And and I think that's right because then they have a beautiful space and empty walls. Yeah, and it looks yeah, it doesn't look finished. Yeah, the uh, you know I I think video is one way that could you know do a lot for helping people mm -hmm. think about um, you know the story and understanding that side of the artist. Now, for all of you artists listening who want to be able to market yourselves like you are the most famous artist, Vango can help. Vango makes the entrepreneurial side of being an artist easy, saving you hours each week from the marketing and admin tasks so that you can focus on creating. In a way, Vango is like your virtual assistant or manager, and their killer feature is the ability to manage all of your online portfolios and storefronts in one place. They also create a website for you, show you who your collectors are, provide insights into what is selling, and they'll even help with your taxes. So. If you're an artist who wants to spend time doing what you love, go to vangoart.co slash podcast to learn more. That's V-A-N-G-O-A-R-T dot co slash podcast. And now back to the episode. So you, one of your steps before here was at Autodesk. Yeah. And I had interviewed the director of the Vienna Contemporary Art Fair. And she said she thought one of the best places uh, looking at the intersection of art and technology was Autodesk both in the product that it has, and they have an artist residency program. I mean, anything that you can speak to about your experience there or why you think they've done such a good job with that intersection? Yeah, absolutely. I I loved working at Autodesk for this reason. It was um, both very humble and um, very admiring of artists, right? Because Autodesk's mission is essentially to create the software 
that enables creators. Mm -hmm. So there was this kind of respect of of we are we are here to provide the tools, but then our customers, what they create, there's infinite possibilities and it's beautiful. And so the Autodesk Gallery was a good representation of that. Working in Autodesk, there was just kind of this kind of thread of respect for the creative process and then the creators, um, and then a ton of uh, visibility of what got created on the software. So Pure 9 um, became, uh, and it, it happened after I left, mm-hmm. but Pure 9 became this place that was like, uh, best way to describe it feels like a maker's heaven, right? Like yeah. it's like every like this entire pier filled with everything that you could want to go through a physical creative process, mm-hmm. um, and then the software to support it, and yeah, and as you mentioned, a residency program as well. And it and it feels like only a company that felt like well, we're, we're not really the creators; we are the enablers of creators would create that kind of location where they can just they can play, the employees can play, they can invite people come in, to come in and play. And it becomes this like almost giant R&D lab of like, what is the future needs from yeah. a tools perspective? Yeah. And so for those of you listening, Pier 9 is in San Francisco near the Ferry Building, uh, which is one of the main attractions in the city. And it is, it's a gorgeous space. It's right on the water. And, you know, I think that's it. It's, it's part workshop, part gallery. And, you know, we're looking at the intersection of art and technology, both from sort of the consumer side, but also the artist side. And that's what they do. They give artists all of these tools that, you know, artists either don't have access to or can't afford. And and so it allows them to really play with how uh, the future of art will be created. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Noah, if you're listening, who started Pier 9, you know, it'd be great to get him on uh, the pod sometime. So Yeah, you should definitely have somebody on from Autodesk. Yeah. The uh, so thinking okay, so what they're doing. I mean, thinking from the creation side, and uh, I mean, do you as you think we talked about AR and VR and not feeling that was quite there yet? I mean, are there other trends or something that you think um, we should look out for in the art space when it comes to technology? So we also talked about video. I mean, where do you see the future going? I mean, obviously online. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I think what's fascinating is the physical spaces are becoming more and more about experiences. Yeah. And so what does that I mean, maybe actually that means galleries are ahead of the curve <laughs> in that sort of the, the act of creating any kind of show or exhibit is just that. You're going to have an opening. You're going to invite people in. It's going to be an experience and it's meant to be torn down. Mm-hmm. And so retail feels like it's kind of only just getting to that point of, of realizing normal foot traffic is sort of dying off and people are doing a lot of their actual shopping online. Mm-hmm. So the physical experience is really about experience, right? So then when it comes to then how do you drive then the decision-making, the commerce piece, um, you know, I think there's a ton of technology trends that will impact it from a data perspective, mm-hmm. for sure. We know a ton about people's taste and what they, where they are on their life stage and what decisions they're making and all of that information. Um, and I think, you know, the last piece is just like this, you know, sort of emergence of beautiful visualization everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's not just the visualization we do, but like you know, formats like Instagram and other places where there's just this kind of like wealth of beautiful imagery available for people to browse. And and then, you know, how do you then connect that to somebody saying, okay, now I want to, I want to bring something from that digital format into the physical world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the last nut to crack. That's, let's hope we get there. I mean, talk to me more about data. That's interesting. How do you think data will be used Yeah, in design and art? I think d- data is going to be tremendous. Um, you know, there is there's so much that you can start to understand about a, a, a person, right? Even through a few small signals, a handful of questions mm-hmm. that you ask somebody, um, you can use that to start to glean insights around 
um, the kinds of things that you might want to direct them to, which is really important, even though that sounds sometimes sounds creepy or it sounds like it's limiting the world. I actually think that we're in this like information overload moment and there's too many options for too many things, too many places, and you shut down as a consumer. Yeah. So the ability to kind of quickly direct you to the things that you're going to react well to is really important. And mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, we've reached this amazing moment where, again, with just like a few, a handful of questions and then the patterns and the signals we start to recognize out of those questions, we can start to create insights that then direct similar customers to kind of similar groupings of products. And some of those patterns would never be obvious to the human mind. They're only obvious once you start looking at the data set. Yeah. Well, so do you see designers always having a role in the process of interior design? Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting. I was just at an interior design um, leadership conference and I spoke at it and somebody asked me very directly, like, yeah. Modsy's coming out. It's going to give people the ability to visualize and, and really low cost design for their homes. Is your goal to displace us? Yeah. <laughs> and my feeling was like, absolutely not. I think there are, there are two tiers here. We go after the consumers who were probably never going to hire an interior designer, yeah. which is many of us. Like I was going to go to the store, look at a bunch of sofas, maybe pick one or maybe get stuck and frustrated and fight with my husband and, <laughs> yeah. and spend four months on this, right? But wasn't going to hire an interior designer. And then there are, there are consumers who absolutely value an interior designer's perspective, the vision that they're going to bring, um, the uniqueness, their aesthetic quality. Um, and then also the the handholding, the project management piece yeah. of it. There's a lot that an especially premium interior designer brings, and so I don't think that goes away ever. Right, yeah. that human touch and that um, artistic touch is not going to go away. What things like what we're doing can enable is tools that then those interior des designers can use with their clients mm -hmm. along the way, but it won't replace their job. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like. You're, you're, you give them the ability to be more personalized and higher touch because what they're not doing is having spent all their time looking at all these different options. Yep. Or just having- Or convince their client, right? Yeah, about a few <laughs> go-tos that they have, yep. which is like, here, you know, here's here's this couch that I like, you know, you should like it too. Exactly. Or like, I have this vision for the space and, you know, the client is sort of not seeing it, right? Yeah. And so that's where that's where we can lend a hand. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't see- um, a lot of the artistic and professional design careers, I mean, that um, that vision and that kind of unique touch that gets brought in, computers are not going to replace that. Mm -hmm. What What about the creation side? How how might data play a role in the creation of furniture? Oh, that's interesting. Well, again, I go back to kind of more data on the trends, right? Like yeah. we get an enormous amount of data about what people are liking, what they're looking at. I mean, even the size of their space. Mm -hmm. And so understanding kind of what there is room for, what are the trends yeah. in terms of um, materials, uh, form factor, style type, all of the, all of that color palettes, those are things that we can collect and then actually inform what what you might want to build more of. Yeah. Um, I think that what was fascinating that was happening at Autodesk I've never spent as much time in is kind of um, – this idea that you could kind of do algorithmic design where you could probably – you could put in a couple of um, of sort of the um, the different inputs, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, maybe maybe some input around scale or size or durability or, um, you know, how much um, weight it can hold, et cetera. And all of those inputs create like 10,000 permutations of a kind of product. 
And then you could go in and then maybe you continue to filter down on, again, different kind of filters and inputs. Or you sort of look at the millions of permutations and then you aesthetically pick out the one that is appealing to you, Mm -hmm. right? And so there may be this kind of back and forth that artists do in the future where their job isn't to kind of conceptualize all the permutations they can input and get all of the permutations and then their job is the curation. Yeah. I I like that. I mean, one thing in art they talk about is the democratization of art. And I think often that's a lot around transparency of pricing, but it also goes to, you know, with technology, they're afraid everyone's just going to buy, you know, blue abstract paintings because that's what makes everyone feel good. But there's another side of it that says, no, actually, it's going to help with personalization. I mean, in the furniture space, do you think about sort of democratization and does it drive more diversity? I mean, we talked about diversity in a team before, or does it drive everyone towards the same kind of four sets we we definitely think about this as being highly unique and highly personal. Actually, our our mission is really to empower the consumer to be unlocked in a creative way, to become yeah. their own designer. And so the moment you as a consumer are you have now have the tools, the technology, you have the starting point, you have the recommendations, but you're going to tweak it in a way and the combination of your own taste and tweaks combined with your unique space and your unique profile means that there will no no two spaces will look alike. Yeah. And that it'll actually come out feeling extremely unique and extremely personal. And that's where to me that's where technology and kind of humans play such an interesting dance, right? Where yeah. they they can sort of the technology can present you with these ideas, but then you tweak it as a person and once you start tweaking it, now what you have is unique to you and it's different than anybody else's. Yeah. That's great. So let's talk about, you know, this cliche question of the five-year, 10-year vision. I mean, where do you see Matsu going? Where do you see the space going? And how do you think you might change or weave in with that? Yeah. Well, so uh, what we want to do, our goal is that this should be the best and the easiest place to shop for furniture. That you should should never start by shopping for furniture in this abstract sort of spaceless, visionless area, right? Where you're like, think I need a rug. What rug? And just like yeah. scrolling down an endless e-commerce site looking at rugs, right? Mm-hmm. Like our vision is that the future is let me open my room. Let me start looking at rugs in my room, the ones that are recommended to me, the ones that I go search and filter for. And let me see it in the context of things I already own, things I'm considering buying and my actual space and then make that purchase decision. So we just we just envision being kind of this visual storefront to all furniture yeah. buying. Magic. Yeah. It's magic. <laughs> Great. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Uh, before I let you go, can we do a quick rapid fire? Yeah. Okay. So as an artist, what was the title of your last art piece? I know I did, I, I did a series on um, Holocaust survivors. Oh, wow. Very serious. Okay. All right. Um, who's your favorite superhero on a lighter note? Wonder Woman. Okay. The movie just came out. I haven't seen it yet. It's great. And, and what's your life motto? Smile. Okay. Good. That was you were the fastest rapid fire we've had yet. Usually rapid fire means I'm gonna give a two minute answer instead of a ten minute one. Well thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, this was really great. Thank you. So don't forget to visit Modsy at modsy.com or on Twitter at Modsy. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode, and really cool art videos you're gonna wanna show your friends. Thanks again to Van Gogh for sponsoring this episode and to all of you for listening. Remember, if you're an artist looking to create more or a buyer wanting to enrich your home with original art, 
Visit VangoArt.co slash podcast and save 30%.